Joining us today on Dialogos Radio and the Dialogos interview series is economic analyst Roger Boodle. Roger is a specialist advisor to the British House of Commons Treasury Committee, the founder and chairman of Capital Economics. He's a regular columnist for the Daily Telegraph, the author of The Trouble with Europe, and the winner of the prestigious Wolfson Prize in Economics. Roger, thank you for joining us once again on our program. You're welcome. The British government has recently gone ahead and invoked Article 50, formerly triggering the process for Great Britain's departure from the European Union. Many doom and gloom scenarios have been heard, particularly by media pundits, regarding the adverse impacts of Brexit on Great Britain's economy. In reality, how has the British economy performed since the referendum vote, and more recently since Article 50 was invoked, and what are its prospects going forward? Well, the British economy has done extremely well since the referendum. In fact, you can't really see any adverse effects at all. It's just bowled along much as before. In the immediate weeks and months after the referendum, there was some hesitation and some business sectors undoubtedly, I think, felt a bit of a slowdown. But that didn't last long. And as things are at the moment, they're looking really very strong. Uh, Surveys suggesting economic growth will continue at roughly the level we've seen recently. Yeah, of course, the pound has dropped quite considerably, and that's helped British exports. They are looking, I think, fairly strong. So even if there's a bit of a squeeze on consumers, which there may well be, I think all the signs are that the British economy is going to sail through this period. From an economic point of view, what are the next steps in the Brexit process for Great Britain? For instance, do you believe that Great Britain will still maintain access to the European common market? And more to the point, do you believe that Great Britain should maintain access to the European common market? Well, now, of course, we're in a difficult phase, which could go on for up to two years, because uh, the Lisbon Treaty allows a period of up to two years for negotiations for a country leaving. And, of course, There's been no country apart from Greenland a long time before that's actually left the European Union. So we're in uncharted territory, really. Uh, I think that what we're going to see, I hope we're going to see, is some sort of free trade deal hammered out between Britain and the EU. Now, if that doesn't happen, it's very important that this word access is novelled. You know, Britain needs access or untrammeled access or whatever. I think it really is very misleading, this word. Uh, Every country in the world's got access to the single market. Uh, The United States, India, China, Japan, all these countries trade with the single market. Uh, They've got access to it. It's just that not not being part of the single market and not having a free trade deal with the European Union, they have to pay the European Union's common external tariff. And, of course, they have to meet all the standards and certificates and so on. Uh, that the EU demands. Now, if Britain doesn't reach some sort of free trade agreement with the EU during this two-year negotiating period, then we're effectively going to be in the same sort of situation that America, China, Japan, India are all in. That doesn't sound to me to be too bad. We are on the air with economic analyst Roger Boodle of Capital Economics here on the Dialogos Radio in the Dialogos interview series. There have been many rumors and many press reports regarding the pound of flesh, if you will, that the European Union will demand from Great Britain as an exit bill for leaving the EU. Do you view this as a distinct possibility, or does Great Britain have bargaining chips of its own to possibly avoid this as it navigates the exit process? Yeah, various figures have suggested bills as high as 60 billion euros that the UK will have to hand over to the EU. 
I think the chances of the EU being able to secure anything like that are uh, vanishingly small, next to zero. There was a report by the British House of Lords recently which had taken expert legal opinion, and the uh, result of that expert legal opinion was that Britain was obliged to pay nothing at all. Uh, that's to say that the common sense interpretation of this would apply, that once you leave the club, you're not asked to carry on paying your membership dues. Um, now, I suspect that there might be reasons of political and economic self-interest such that Britain might end up paying rather more than zero, but 60 billion euros, well, they're going to have to whistle for that. Um, I think there's plenty of room for some sort of reasonable deal. Part of the exit process, from what I understand, would have to do with Great Britain's share of the European Central Bank's cash reserves, which amount to 16% of the ECB's total cash reserves. Can these cash reserves be returned to Great Britain as part of the Brexit process? Yeah, I don't see that as being a, uh, a factor to be taken on its own. I mean, as a shareholder in the ECB, we do have uh, a claim on the ECB's net assets. So the ECB has got liabilities as well. So I don't think it's reasonable just to look at the, the cash that the ECB holds. You've got to look at the balance sheet as a whole. And then you've got to put that into the context of the whole position of the EU. I can't see the UK walking away with 16% of ECB's cash holdings. Uh, no, I think there's going to be some overall totting up of assets and liabilities and whatever the EU thinks are the UK's continuing obligations after it's actually left the club. And that's something where there'll be a major argument. So these ECB cash reserves will just be one factor among very many that will affect this question of how much the UK has to hand over. What are the options and possibilities that Great Britain has on the table as it prepares to depart the European Union in terms of new trade deals or other beneficial agreements outside of the European Union? Well, we've heard President Trump say that he's keen on the prospect of a US-UK trade deal, and he's made it pretty clear he thinks that can be accomplished fairly quickly. There are a whole series of other countries that are interested, including uh, former uh, members of the British Empire and are now members of the British Commonwealth, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, also country India, countries outside Japan and China. I think we will be able to uh, secure some sort of agreement with pretty soon. But, you know, I think it's very important not to overplay the significance of trade deals. Uh, Britain trades all around the world with all sorts of countries with which it does not have a trade deal. The United States being one of them. Britain's biggest single export market. The UK does not have a trade agreement with the United States. And the reason it doesn't have one is that, of course, at the moment, it can't make its own trade policy. It's the EU that has to do that. And the EU hasn't been able to make a trade deal with the United States. It's, I think, very much a result of, how can I put it, um, I don't know, Euro brainwashing that within the European Union, most people seem to think that prosperity emerges at the end of the fountain pens of these wonderful officials and trade negotiators in Brussels and elsewhere. And all our futures depend upon these people. Well, this is complete hogwash. It's a fairy tale. Around the world, all sorts of countries do extremely well and trade, trade with each other without having anything to do with these panjandrums in Brussels. And Britain could be in exactly the same position. How does the City of London and the business community in Great Britain view the prospects of the British economy going forward following Brexit? 
Well, in the run-up to the referendum, there was a majority of the leaders of big business in Britain, including in the City of London, the financial interests, in favour of Britain staying in. That hasn't changed very much. Uh, and accordingly, um, there's a preponderance of voices, uh, although it's less strident than before, worried about exactly what sort of arrangements Britain's going to put in place. But um, uh, even before the referendum vote, this description of the state of business opinion, it was very far from uniform. There were a lot of business people who were in favour of Britain leading, leaving. And a lot of people in the city were in favour of Britain leaving. And on the whole, it was the more entrepreneurial city firms that were in favour of Britain leaving, as opposed to the big established banks and brokerage houses and so on and so forth, who on balance were in favour of Britain staying. I think that now the debate has moved on a lot. It's been helped by uh, some of Mrs May's speeches and by the triggering of Article 50. It's now pretty clear that we are leaving. And accordingly, business opinion has switched from trying to operate a sort of rearguard action to realizing that it's going to happen. Um, and obviously there's a difference of opinion. There are still some business leaders, including some in the city, who are a bit concerned and they want to make sure that we get the softest of soft Brexits. Um, but a lot of business leaders are more optimistic than that. I think the mood though has changed. It's, it's changed towards, as I thought it would and hoped it would, towards making the most of Brexit, getting on with it, getting on with the job, getting the job of leaving the, U, uh, leaving the EU done, and then making sure that Britain is best placed uh, in the world that follows. We are speaking with economic analyst Roger Boodle of Capital Economics here on Lealogos Radio and Lealogos Interview Series. According to a recent report, a survey of reserve managers at 80 central banks around the world found that there is a recent tendency for central banks to cut their euro exposure while viewing British currency as a safer prospect for their banks' portfolios. Is this a trend that you have observed in the markets and is this likely to continue? I don't find it surprising that central bank reserve managers should find the prospect of having substantial amounts of their reserves in euros alarming. I don't find that surprising at all because there is a mega crisis in the European Union. Uh, for the last year or so, the media has been obsessing about the so-called British crisis triggered by the fact that we voted to leave the European Union. But fundamentally, if one puts aside for a moment the qu possible question of a second Scottish referendum, that is a big worry for the UK. That aside, the UK is a pretty stable place. And I think all the signs are that, um, although there might be a few wobbles over Brexit, it can continue to be both successful and stable in the years ahead. And of course, famously, it's got extremely liquid financial markets. So I can see why um, international money managers, including central bank reserve managers, would find the UK fairly attractive. Now, by contrast, you can paint a scenario, I'm not saying this is necessarily my central forecast, but you can paint a scenario that's deeply alarming for the countries of the EU. It's still, um, I think, more than possible that uh, a country is going to leave the euro over the next few years. The Italian economy remains very weak. The Greek economy is in a very, a very serious state. Either one or both of those countries could leave. You've got a political crisis in France with the possibility of far-right leader Marine Le Pen becoming president. And even if that doesn't happen, there's no doubt which way France is going over the next couple of years. So there are really fundamental questions about 
the integrity of the EU as a political unit uh, and the euro currency alongside that. So why would you want to expose substantial amounts of your reserves to that? Now, from a British point of view, there is a danger, I think, in all this. Uh, I happen to think that the lower pound that was brought on by Brexit is a great boon for the British economy. I've wanted the pound to be weaker for a long time. I think we've needed it. It's improved our competitiveness. So <laughs> the last thing I would want to see is international capital holders becoming really very worried about the euro and the EU and moving money into the pound with the result that the pound rose a lot on the exchanges. That, I think, would be extremely unhelpful for Britain. Even though Great Britain was not in the Eurozone, many people forget that it had been a part of the European Exchange Rate Mechanism, the ERM, before departing in 1992. This departure had, like Brexit, been accompanied by doom and gloom scenarios for what the impact on the British economy would be. In reality, how did exiting the ERM impact the British economy at the time? Well, it's very funny this, because I remember it extremely well um, before Britain left. Left is too dignified a word. It sort of fell out of the exchange rate mechanism. Before that happened in September 1992, uh, the UK Treasury was telling anyone who wanted to listen, and quite a few who didn't, uh, that we absolutely had to stay in the RM. Otherwise, uh, inflation would soar, interest rates would soar, uh, and the economy would go down the tubes. Uh, now, various, various economists, myself included, said this was rubbish uh, and that the opposite would happen. And dare I say it, after September the 16th, 1992, how can I put it, the Treasury was proved wrong. That's to say, um, okay, the currency fell a long way, and exactly as a few of us had said, interest rates would not have to go up. Indeed, they fell. Uh, actually, inflation carried on falling too. And the economy recovered. And after that, there were uh, five years of very strong growth under the Conservatives before Labour won the election in 1997. So that was an earlier occasion where the Treasury's forecasts of gloom and doom were proved comprehensively wrong. Looking at economic and political developments in Europe, with an emphasis on the upcoming presidential elections in France and the candidacy of Marine Le Pen, who has delivered her own strong Eurosceptic message to French voters, do you believe that we are seeing the beginning process of the breakup of the Eurozone or the European Union? And how can Brexit serve as a catalyst for this process? I think we are seeing probably the beginnings of the breakup of the EU. Uh, the beginnings of the breakup of the euro were seen some time ago. Um, now, of course, it hasn't happened, but the signs are, I think, pretty clear of the strains. Very clear, of course, in Greece, but also, I think, more significantly in Italy, less dramatic, of course, in Italy, the crisis, but Italy is a much bigger economy. And I think this is more significant for the EU because Italy, of course, was a founder member of the EU. Greece didn't join until much later. Um, if Greece ends up leaving the euro, uh, then that is a hammer blow, not just to the euro, but I think to the institutions of the EU itself. Now, uh, it may well be that one of these events, that's to say a country leaving the euro or the election of Marine Le Pen, they could happen, of course, fairly soon. Uh, and that would still be early on in the Brexit process because it won't be for almost two years before Britain, join, uh, Britain, Britain leaves the EU. But if Italy doesn't leave the euro and or we don't get Marine Le Pen as president of France and both the euro and the EU hold together then I think Brexit is going to play a major role because then all eyes are going to be on seeing how the UK does outside the EU. Now, of course, 
it's going to take quite some time for this to be uh, testable. We got the, up to two years of negotiations. And then I suspect there will be some wobbles and difficulties and short-term problems associated with the business of exit. So it might be a year or two after exit before we can see how the UK is doing. But if the UK is doing really pretty well after that period, things look set fair, well, I think we're going to see a lot of pressure within the EU for other countries to leave because then the UK will have got out of the free movement of labour, got out of the jurisdiction of the European Court, got out of having to pay Brussels these huge annual subventions. And I think lots of countries will look at this deal and think, oh, gosh, I think I rather like that setup. We are on the air with economic analyst Roger Boodle of Capital Economics here on Leologos Radio in the Leologos Interview Series. In 2012, you were awarded the Wolfson Prize in Economics for your analysis regarding how any Eurozone member state could safely depart the Eurozone in an orderly fashion. Could you recap some of the highlights of this proposal for our listeners, and has anything changed in your analysis since then? I don't think the essence of the situation, or indeed my recommendations as to what a country should do um, have changed at all, really. Um, but there is a particular relevance to the French situation, which I'll come on to talk about in a moment. Uh, what we said was, first of all, don't be afraid of uh, the fact that the exchange rate for the new currency falls, that the, that the currency is weak immediately after um, the exit. That is part of the solution, not the problem. You shouldn't try and stop it. Indeed, you should encourage it. It's how you get the combination of a reduced burden of debt and increased competitiveness. We recommended that preparations for this exit should be conducted in secret. If this is not possible, then you have to impose capital controls. You might have to close the banks, which would be a serious worry. Um, you don't need to uh, be able to issue new currency in order to leave. It takes quite some time for notes to be uh, printed. Uh, you can do it without doing that. In this day, these days of electronic money, you can do without notes for a while. And indeed, you can carry on using euros, notes and coins, in the interim before your new notes are um, available. You probably will need in some sense or other to default on some of your debt. The aim should be to re-denominate your national debt into the new currency, the one that's depreciated. Um, and whether you can do that is going to depend upon the precise legal position of the debt. But insofar as you can, that's what you should do. And the aim should be through a combination of a reduced debt burden as a share of GDP and um, increased competitiveness to get a period of economic growth. And from that, of course, all sorts of good things follow. And the connection with the French election is that Marine Le Pen has talked about having a referendum on ditching the euro and bringing back the franc, which is completely different from what, of course, we suggested in uh, our uh, Wolfson winning study. Uh, and the significance of this is that the Marine Le Pen proposal is going to cause an awful lot of financial instability. The financial markets aren't going to wait for the result of the vote. They're going to act with their feet straight away. So if Marine Le Pen wins, I think you're going to see substantial capital flight from France, even before she announces the referendum, by the way, and a lot of money leaving France. I could see a real banking crisis following from, from that as people try to get their money out and to put it into, as it were, safer members of the Eurozone, principally uh, Germany. 
Uh, and there might have to be some sort of capital controls imposed to stop that capital flight and to stop the French banking system from collapsing. Looking at economic conditions in Europe today, and specifically in countries such as Greece, which continue to enforce a regime of strict economic austerity, as prescribed by their lenders, do you believe that exiting the Eurozone is still an option, and indeed the best option for these countries? I don't see how Greece can escape from its current situation without a much devalued exchange rate. Um, now, there are some, well, Spain is a country that is, is now recovering and I think would be, would be able probably to stay in the euro system, although not if Italy leaves and devalues. But for Italy especially and Greece, I don't see any chance of emerging from their current economic torpor that doesn't involve leaving the euro. We are speaking with economic analyst Roger Boodle of Capital Economics here on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series. In Greece, there are various arguments that are heard against Brexit, ranging from claims that it's too late and is something Greece should have done seven or eight years ago at the onset of the crisis, to arguments that a catastrophic devaluation of the new currency would follow, or that hyperinflation would result, or that Greece would be unable to import vital necessities. How do you respond to these arguments? Well, there's no doubt that it would be possible to do Grexit badly. Uh, and in the same way, of course, it's possible to do Brexit badly. You could make a complete mess of it. There's no doubt um, that's possible. But it's very important, I think, not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yes, there will be difficulties as a result of Grexit. But the most important thing is it gives hope. I think you have to ask yourself, what are you comparing this option with? And a country that's lost something like 25% of its GDP, that's got a huge proportion of its workforce unemployed, uh, uh, there doesn't seem to be much hope under the current situation. So I think it's a bit extreme to say, you know, oh gosh, if Greece left the euro, there'd be hyperinflation. Well, there wouldn't be bound to be hyperinflation at all. If it's managed properly, there would be an uptick in inflation and that wouldn't necessarily be all bad because it would help to devalue the real value of some of the debts. You'd have to, though, keep this under control. It would have to be well managed. It would need the management, effective management by the Bank of Greece and the Greek government to make sure that along with some other devaluations in the past, this was a fairly benign process. But it doesn't mean to say that you can avoid pain. You can't avoid pain. <laughs> You've had pain for the last, I don't know how many years in Greece, and this is a country that's lost 25% of its GDP. Well, Mr. Boodle, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today here on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series and for sharing your analysis and insights with us. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much.